Welcome to the Evolved Caveman Podcast. I am Dr. John, the guide for your heroic journey towards greater health, success, and most importantly, happiness. And now, on with the show. Hey everybody, this is Dr. John and a quick PSA regarding my new virtual men's group that meets on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Pacific time. There's only a few spots left, but I thought you might want to know about it. It's a quick, easy, and cheap way to work with me. And maybe some of you have a career. Maybe you've made some money. Maybe you have a reputation for yourself at work. But maybe what you lack is things like happiness or purpose, a fulfilling relationship or a healthy sex life, the passion, happiness, and ease that you once had with your spouse, an emotion other than numbness, disconnection, or irritability. This group is for men who are trying to be values-driven, interested in lifelong learning, and curious about how to become the best possible versions of themselves. The group is not for men who want to remain in the comfort zone while sitting at home watching TV. So again, group meets weekly, Wednesday, 7 p.m. It's only $95 per session, and you can call 510-863-0057 for more details. That's 510-863-0057. And now, on with the show. Hey, everybody. This is Dr. John back with another episode of the Evolved Caveman podcast, and it is my pleasure today to have on the show... A really old friend, uh, someone that I've known since I was about, God, I don't know, six years old. Uh, we used to swim together back in San Ramon at, at, the, at this shitty country club, uh, which is now the Royal Vista, which is still a shitty country club. And but I, I loved it growing up. And you know, we were my family was friends with his family, and he is a first on the show because I've also interviewed his sister, Catherine who is an educational psychologist and doing amazing things. And so it's my honor to have Patrick Cook with me, who is now a divorce attorney. And Patrick graduated from the Southern New England School of Law. He was a member of the U.S. Coast Guard Academy. And he was also, interestingly, he's also a soccer fan and a soccer coach and a soccer dad. And he owned the operations for the International Academy for the Liverpool for Liverpool's International Academy uh, in three states, which is pretty impressive. So Patrick, welcome and thanks for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. It's great to uh, to be connected with you with you again. And uh, I know you're right when you look back on uh, that San Ramon Country Club, but I but you know, back then I thought that was just this is oasis. I thought it was it was yeah. It was the best, it was the most safe place to be for me growing up as yeah. a kid. Yeah, no doubt. Well, there's this collection of families that were there and the kids just spent all day, you know, just um, uh, just being kids. By the, it was just a great time. You're right. Yeah. And, and so for those of you who don't have this on video, who aren't getting it on YouTube, which is most of you, um, Patrick has this whole kind of John Lennon vibe <laughs> going on. Um, and interestingly, he's also the owner manager of Zephyr Sound, which is an independent record label. Um, and and so he, if he doesn't sound cool to you, he definitely looks cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, better be lucky than good. <laughs> I always uh, I always tell people that. Well, uh, I might look like John Lennon. I said he got the talent, but my wife is way better looking. So <laughs> <laughs> than John Lennon, <laughs> the John or Yoko Ono. Yeah. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I don't even know her. She doesn't deserve that swipe, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> So before we got on air, we were talking about, um, for those of you who've been following my, my love life, I guess. Um, so Jory and I just announced on Facebook that, and I guess other social media that we got back together, we've been working on it for several weeks. And one of the things that we did was go through two days of hell in the version of intensive couples counseling for six hours a day, which was really painful and confronting and probably the best thing we've ever done, uh, in terms of healing and moving forward to a new level of mature love, I guess I would say. Um, but that feels really good. So Patrick and I were just kind of chatting about that. Um, because one of the reasons I'm having Patrick on is that he's a divorce attorney and we wanted to talk about his experience of what goes wrong with couples, um, how to prevent it and what you want to look at if you're going through the same thing and looking at divorce potentially. Yeah. And first of all, this is an awkward way for me to mention it, but Jory didn't feel the weekend went the same way. And actually she's retained me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. 
<laughs> no, no, no. That, uh, I, I, I saw that. I saw the piece that you shared, and uh, we couldn't have been happier for you guys. Um, yeah, so thank you. I appreciate awesome it. When, when uh, good people find a way to, uh, to you know, uh, continue to to see the right things with each other and 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 spend time together. That's awesome. Well, thank you. And it's interesting because our love for each other was never in doubt. But as I told you that we were stuck in some ruts that weren't serving us and we'd both been unhappy for several months and we couldn't find a way through it. And I think for me, I was honestly scared to have to go to those dark places of myself to really look at how do I change these patterns that aren't serving us? And yeah, it, it's I, just the idea of the, the depth of intensity or the the work that you have to go through to get to a better relationship. Sorry, I cut you off. No, it's nuts. Uh, and Fisher, it's all, I think it's, it's so great that you are able to share those things and share those, those feelings and observations about yourself and, 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 and the things that you try to kind of access and grow through. That's, I think, the more people talk about that and, and hopefully the more and more it becomes normalized, I think the healthier it is for everyone. And, and in, in the work that I get to do where people, you know, uh, really entrust me in a very pivotal part of their lives, you often see them and, and spend time with them when they're going through some of the most difficult things they do. And, um, you know, there's, there's, there's uh, it's, it's just, it's really hard. Every family story is its own. Every pathway through is unique, you know? Um, so I really try to, um, to, to get in tune with that, with where they are and find them in the, the not just the, the legal journey that they go through or the financial pieces that have to happen, but um, especially if there's children, you know, but there's the, the, the emotional journey that they go through um, is its own. <laughs> each one of those pieces, each one of those threads is its own challenge. For sure. Yeah. And you know, so one of the questions I wanted to start off with, because there's a difference between, you know, sort of aggregate level statistics of looking at population levels, people as a, as a group versus individuals experience and kind of anecdotal experience. And you've had 16, 17 years as a divorce attorney. So I wanted to ask, what are some of the biggest issues that you see leading to divorce? And just from my experience, what I see is it, it I think at first I had the assumption that it was affairs, which obviously can lead to divorce. But, you know, women are initiating 75% of the divorces in the U.S. right now. And the biggest complaint I hear is I can't connect with my husband, assuming heterosexuality. Yeah, I think that that's that's correct. I mean, it's every like I said, every family story is its own. And it's it's always been of, of interest to me what for some families they'll go through is like a bump in the road. And that same thing for another family will, you know, run the thing into the ditch. It's, yeah. it's, you know, so it's, it's difficult. Certainly infidelity is something that a lot of, you know, it's hard to get by that. A lot of people um, have struggled, you know, rightfully so struggle getting by that, but, but yeah, you see it more, especially now in couples that have been married a, a period of time where it, and I, I guess I've grown to see it as like there's three things that need to grow. You know, each of the individuals in the relationship need to be able to grow, and the relationship itself needs to grow. And if anything else gets out of whack, and I'm sure this is, you know, something you see all the time, if any one of those three things gets gets you know outpaces the other, or it doesn't stay enough in sync with the other, it's really difficult for that relationship to continue. Yeah, and I think you bring and, up you know, a really important. There's times you're oh. No, please. Sorry, sorry. I was gonna, you bring up a really important point that I just want to reiterate that I, I think it's really critical to look at being in a relationship as having three distinct elements. There's you, there's me, and there's the relationship. Hmm. And, you know, Jory and I have started talking about that as what do we need to do in order to feed the relationship? What does the relationship need? Like month or weekly check-ins, for example, hmm. let's, let's meet weekly so that we can talk about the relationship and see what what we're holding on to in terms of resentment or hurt. And then what do we need to address that? And what do we need to do to keep the relationship healthy moving forward? Just as an example. Yeah, no, that's spot on. And, and you know, that one of the, one of the difficult things you are, I guess you're in a courtroom and I've done a number of these, but even more so when you're sitting there, like if the case is ahead of yours and there's like a couple who've been married for 45 years or something like that, you know, and they're getting divorced. 
And it's so interesting because your first thought goes to, oh, really? You know, but then you sit there and, and after you, you know, you sit there, you're like, wow, that's a long time to be with somebody who's not the right person to be with, you know? Um, and even if they didn't begin that way, do they grow that way, you know? And it's, it, so it's, I think that it's the relationships and how they change over time. And you see a lot of it when, um, when the kids, the kids move out, the kids are now on their own. And suddenly this couple, they, they go from being, you know, busy kids are good kids. So, you know, you, you're both involved in this and then, you know, one or both of you, both of you usually now are working and suddenly there's this time. And then they realize, well, we haven't really connected like this. Uh, we yeah, really we dealt with this um, unscheduled time together. We haven't fed the relationship. Because I think kids in particular, like it's easy to distract yourself with kids. And there's another question that came to mind that I think we, I think, I think all of us, it might be an overstatement slightly, but not by much. We have this assumption about relationships that longevity is equal to success. And that's not true, I would argue. In other words, one of the first things I tell people going through divorce is, okay, so how long were you married? Oh, 10, 15 years, 15 years, let's say. Damn, that's a pretty good run. Because if we, it's it's all about, you know, how long, it's the length of the lifespan now. So if we were living back in tribal times yeah. and our lifespan <laughs> were- 32, right? Yeah, yeah if, if we were 35, if, if we're going to die at 32, 35, right? Shit, 15 years was half our life. That was a huge success. And that would have lasted you till the end of your life. Yeah, but but now, now we're living to 90. Yeah, now you could be sitting at a table at like 47 and going, I can't listen to that person chew like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's the little things. Something's got to give. Yeah. That sounds like it was from personal experience. Yeah, Patrick, chew with your I'm mouth just, closed. Yeah, I'm assuming it. That's what people feel. Like. <laughs> well, it's funny how many things, like uh, when this came up over the weekend, we were at a relationship conference with like Terry Real and Esther Perel and Alexander Solomon, some of the biggest names. And so many examples situated around the dishwasher and how you do dishes, how you put the dishes in the dishwasher, how dirty are the dishes? How do you clean up after the dishes? Do you, you know, and it's such a great example of how these little things become the big things. Yeah. And there's also more about dishwashing, right? It has to do with, you know, perceived actual and perceived roles and relationships and, you know, servitude and all these, and, and you know, um, gender roles kind of things. Yeah. Yeah. All of that is like, that's a, it is, it's a great like magnet size microcosm for all of these issues that can come crushing. And, and how do we, how do we communicate around the issues? Right? Like you're so damn lazy. I asked you to empty the dishwasher and you haven't done a damn thing, you know, which is or, criticism. And, or you walk by with just a privilege of, boom, there's my dish, man, I'm on my way. And it's like, Hey, yeah. what do you think happens to that dish? You know, <laughs> you know, how do you think that gets back in the cupboard where you took it off and you know, walked by with such confidence and, you know, spun it on the counter as you, yeah. as you walk by, you know, what yeah. do you who think, you think is going to clean up after you? Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm sure that was, a, I'm sure that was a woman in your example that did that. <laughs> Yeah. Why why are you laughing? Oh wait, that's gender humor. Sorry. <laughs> so So what other very, issues do you see as as you know coming up in divorce? Well, there's, some of the there's, bigger that, triggers? There's, there's also financial stuff. Um and financial stuff shows itself in different ways. And a lot of the uh what happens mostly on the male side, I'll say this, and for most of this conversation, I guess I'm going to be assuming a heterosexual um, relationship, and I, I don't mean to, to minimize or, or, or you know, um, to the others, there aren't equal challenges in um, uh, same-sex relationships, because there certainly are. And I've done it, you know, especially here in Massachusetts, um, we've done a number of divorces for same-sex couples, and, and they have, you know, their their journey is, is through that is just as difficult. But in, um, for, in a... Um, uh, Male female um, relationship that's going through like a divorce. A lot of times with the males, they they'll get a focus on it's my money, it's my money. What's she doing with my money? And um, it it it's it really speaks to this. It, it if when you find that that occurs, that doesn't just sit there just with the money. That approach to things really kind of leaks into everything and what you see is that they have you know maybe there's 
expectations for roles they, that they did have or he thought they were going to have that she then as they were growing through life that fit less for her you know um and now it's showing with you know with uh, with his money another thing that happens is they start and we just my kids and our kids you know um and you know, uh, so and that's another thing. It's like another challenge to go through is that those perceptions of, you know, I think you learn from those things, kind of what roles were, or what roles were perceived to be that then the person may have felt betrayed when, you know, people grew in different directions. I think you're muted, my friend. Thank you. Yeah, I have construction going on in the background, so I keep trying to mute myself while you're talking. <clears throat> Thank you. Um, and I, I think a lot of this comes down to the feeling of betrayal. So you can feel betrayed sexually, you can feel betrayed financially, <clears throat> you can feel betrayed just in terms of the number of small hurts, resentments, annoyances, um, angers that come up. And so I, I think you know, being able to communicate around those issues is huge and being able to communicate around them early before they develop into this cancerous lesion emotionally. Um, so how do you, so let's say we're, you've got a couple that's moving into divorce. <clears throat> One of the biggest issues, it seems to me is money. And, and I, I love what you were saying about, you know, typically the man saying it's my money or thinking it's my money. And I've seen that dynamic over and over. And I think you're absolutely right that it bleeds into potentially all other areas of the relationship. Uh, you know, Terry Reel's new book is called Us, and he's arguing for a movement from, you know, me to we or I to us. And again, it's that development of the relationship as a third entity of us as a team, as a, us as being together. But let's say that's fractured or never existed. Um, how do you explain not to aggressively pursue more money? in the divorce well what i what i try to and especially in initial i do an initial consult with every every client um and when i i have a a set number of things i walk through that's a little bit tailored to them but one thing i try to take the try to take the people out of it and talk to them about the law um and you know, with with family law, it's that that term. You know, it's hard to take people out of it. But sometimes, if you take that take their emotion and the connection and and that stuff, and say, let's just set that right here for now. Let's just talk about what the law says. And you know, the law will describe you know property that accrues during the marriage as owned by both of you. Okay, it's marital property. It's fifty fifty. Yes, there are times that we can say. All right, you know, make it extreme so it's easy to see. You know, uh, one of you is making a you know trip to Vegas every month where you spend eight grand. <laughs> you know, all right, well let's you know, so that's that might drive a an uneven distribution of those that marital property. But by and large, you know, the decisions that were made during the marriage or assumed to have been made and further into the marriage, and that the money that accrues, whether it's in your four hundred one k or you know, this account that you had, you know, those different things, it's, those are marital funds. That's what the law says. That's our starting point for this, you know, and then we can try to see if individual of ex individual experiences um, are, um, uh, the, the facts of those are sufficient enough to like to drive some type of different outcome to argue, you know, sometimes it happens sometimes, you know, and another thing I tell people is that a lot of times it's going to, you know, things are going to get you know, you split up, divided here, 50-50, or, you know, it might be 48-52, depending on how things go. But the longer you argue, smaller the pie gets, you know? So we got to make sure that what we're going to argue about is worth it for that. Now, like at, sometimes, like you have a case where, hey, the argument is this, you know, eight or $900,000 property. And, you know, when did that come into the relationship and how did it come in and whatnot? So unfortunately, that's enough to argue about, you know? But if it's, hey, you know, I, I think I should keep, you know, some thousands, $10,000 more of this, and that's important to you, but, you know, um, boy, you're going to spend a lot more than that fighting about that issue, you know? So, so let me just ask a clarification question. 
let's say I'm married. During the marriage, I bought two Ferraris, two Lamborghinis, two Porsches, and I don't know, a couple Maseratis. Are you telling me that those aren't all mine? Well, I think it depends on how long the marriage was, right? And um, over 10 years, let's over say. 10 years. I'd say that that starts to look a lot like marital property. Yeah. Yeah. So you better uh, pick which one of those, each of those is your favorite. <laughs> no, I don't actually have those cars, but uh, <laughs> and, uh, I, I, I know some people that do. Yeah. But and the point there, and the reason for that is because if that was from income that was accrued during the marriage, well, the marriage could have decided to do a lot of different things with that money, right? Mm -hmm. It could have decided to go on family vacations, or it could have decided to buy uh, a second or whatever house or something, or it could have decided to, you know, redo the something inside the house. Yeah. The marriage could have made a zillion different choices right. of what to do with that money. Okay. But it decided, even if it felt like, Hey, it was me and my money, I'm spending it on this. Well, that was the marriage deciding to do that. So that has those impacts, you know, and again, that it's a broad brush, you know, and that's, that's going to be the kind of the presumption that's set for what that is, but that presumption is rebuttable. That means that, okay, there are circumstances that can exist that can overcome that, you know, um, right. but that's going to be where the story starts. Yeah. Well, it, it sounds to me like you're saying at some level that even the law sees the relationship as a third entity. Yes. I would say that's true. Yeah. And, you know, the, then the question is after the other question is, well, what happens to income? This is another whole area, of course, but there's the income that, and, that, and assets that accrue during the marriage. I'm assuming that income goes into assets. Okay. But the income is also spent on different things. And what happens to incomes after um, is, you know, that's the question of, is it, is there going to be spousal support or alimony? And, a lot of that depends, of course, again, on the length of the marriage and the roles of people during the marriage. And um, also, to be candid, where you live. Um, some states, you know, and it really depends on who wrote the laws. Um, uh, and, you know, without getting in too political, but if it's, a, you know, a bunch of uh, old men who sat around writing the laws, you're going to find uh, alimony laws are rather favorable uh, you know, or mm. for, for a guy where it's maybe, you know, typically for a guy where it's shorter term, you know, smaller amounts and whatnot. Um, but um, like Massachusetts, which is, you know, arguably nationwide, a bit more progressive with that, there's, you know, um, there is a more significant obligation, you know? Hmm. Yeah. Fascinating. And, and so it, it seems to me that a lot of the dynamics in a divorce, and I'm, I'm simplifying this, but a lot of it comes down to anger. And, and I see this over and over and over. And I think that's why a lot of relationships rupture and end is because there's an accumulation of events that create hurt, resentment, annoyance, mistrust that, come out as anger. And by the time we get to divorce, the anger is so intense and all encompassing that many people get to this scorched earth mentality of, I just want to make her pay, or I just want to make him pay. Yeah, that's true. And I, I, I usually tell people, um, I represent you twice here in two different time periods. I represent you sitting here talking to me now. And I represent you seven years from now, who's laying in bed, staring at their ceiling. And sometimes those two people have very different interests. Okay. Sometimes the person is here today because it, it can go one of two ways. It can be like, ah, you know what? Forget it. Give them everything. I don't want to fight. I don't want to. And I can be on board with that. But I'm like, but this person seven years from now might go, you know what? This one was worth this thing. Fine. Give, give this, give that. But this, you know, but this, this is worth fighting over. You know, so sometimes I'm like, ah, we got to, this is worth a little bit of, you know, let's, let's step into this one a little bit and, and, and before we just acquiesce. And also a lot goes the other way where it's like, it's a zero sum game of anything that they get, I lose. And it's like, you know, that person seven years from now isn't going to care if they got eight or nine of the spoons, you know, um, they're just going to be like, I shouldn't have paid. 
you know, $16,000 over that additional spot. (laughs) Yeah. So your point is well taken in the sense of, so it could be anger that's driving the behavior primarily, or it could also be something like resignation and guilt or even fear, right? Like I don't want him to come after me or, and I'm, I'm assuming gender roles here, but, um, but I, I think it's, it's a fascinating issue because I'm always telling clients like, and I, I think to your your example of you know you now versus you seven years from now, the other way I think of it is you now versus your best possible self, your best possible life in the future, or your emotional self now versus your rational self down the road. Um, and and I think that's a really good way to put it, as you did. Um, but I see you know as far as anger goes, I'm always telling clients like I, I want you to keep in mind throughout this process, what's your peace of mind worth? Because, you know, when I first started my divorce, I thought my peace of mind was worth, you know, I don't know what, a thousand bucks, 5,000 bucks. And the further I got into the process and the worse my ex-wife behaved in the courtroom and in depositions, it became more and more and more and more as a percentage of my net worth. Yeah, no, I hear you. And, and that's exactly why, like, some, what, two things clients want to know is how much and how long, you know, and. And the unfortunate but true answer you got to tell them is, well, it depends. You know, it depends on you guys. There's some people who come in and it's like they got, you know, they've got things worked out. And they can get through for, you know, um, geez, you know, you could get through for a very reasonable amount of money in about a time. But if there are things that are worth fighting over, you know, if, you know, whether it's on the financial side or even more clearly things that are happening with children, then you know, then that becomes a different question. And the the issue of anger, especially when it comes to men going through divorces, um, is very dangerous. Um, Because especially if the relationship has been unhealthy for a period of time, there may have been norms that have developed that um, in context are concerning. But removed from the context of that moment, they're horrifying. And it can be like how they communicate, you know, and using profanity in communication, um, especially when presented later, um, shows, you know, if, if you're a person, you know, if you're someone like, what do you, how, show me how you guys text. I want to see how you communicate via text. And you start seeing this and you start seeing, you know, explicative after explicative and what it's like. You, this is, you know, the standard for a restraining order for a you know, domestic relations restraining order in Massachusetts here is you have a reasonable fear of imminent physical harm. And that's that's, you know, not hard to establish when you're communicating like that. You know, when you have anger or angry emails back and forth or voice messages, you know, different things, it's like. You, you know, you really you're 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 allowed to feel how you feel. Um but you're not allowed to act like however you want to act. And um, especially when, again, if a, if a relationship has been in an unhealthy state for a period of time, then suddenly it's opened up to this public view and there's different, you know, really what should have been the same, but there's different, you know, value judgments being placed in what you, what people have been getting away with or has been deemed acceptable. And you really can get yourself in, um, you know, um, in difficulty. Yeah. And I I think along those lines, it's really important for people going through a divorce or looking at divorce to realize that you are not operating at your emotional best. You are operating at your worst, at your lowest, at your most emotional, probably at any time in your life almost. And it's critical to be aware of that because one of the biggest problems I see is, and, and I would say this is mostly men, but not always, men who think they're being rational when reason has almost completely left them and they're solely or primarily being driven by emotion and that emotion is primarily anger. Um, and it's hugely problematic. Yeah, no, and it can, and what it can do is it, 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 well, if, if that's the, you know, that's one of that becomes one of the issues. Okay. And it can become an overriding issue, especially for the attention that it gets and it can divert from what you might believe and what might you might actually correctly believe are the actual issues that need to get worked out in this divorce. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, perhaps maybe in some, you know, scenario we can create the, this, you know, you should be the primary physical custodian of the children, but 
through, you know, presentation of some choices that you made, evidence of some choices that you made, you know, text messages or different things of how you were treating the other side, suddenly they can shift the focus from what the behavior is actually a concern and show it on what you've been doing. Or, you know, of course, the behavior you've been doing might be the actual concern. You just may not mm-hmm. be accepting it or realizing it. So there's, you know, um, there's lots of different ways to look at that. But, but yeah, no. And another thing that happens to it also is that it takes two people to want to stay married, you know, and um, if the other side doesn't want to stay married, but you do, that is just really hard. And behavior that can, you know, in a uh, 80s power ballad seem really um, you know, committed and, you know, unaccepting of, you know, <laughs> whatever suddenly comes across really concerning, you know, he called, you know, he called me 17 times in an hour, you know, or he kept he showed up in my up. backyard unannounced. <laughs> yeah. Things like that, which, you know, even if you're holding a radio over your head is yep. still pretty creepy, um, when put on the open stage and it's not accepted. So, um, those are things that, you know, you really need to, to talk about. And, I, and, you know, I tell clients, I'm like, you need to be talking to somebody. You should really be seeing going through the, you know, anything like this. You should really be seeing a, a professional counselor or uh, a licensed therapist and, and or you need friends that you can just vent to, you know, said, so I'm happy to talk to you, but I'm a really expensive friend, you know, and, uh, you know, so find other find other people also who can help because you just you have these things and you need to get an outlet for that because if yeah. you don't, you'll make decisions that later on will, you know, we'll have to be uh, trying to figure out how to sort through. Okay. Let me give you another scenario. I got, I think just last week, um, an old client reaching out. Hey, John, I, I'm at the end of my marriage. I think we're done. Do you know any attorneys? And by the way, I want the biggest asshole attorney, you know, of, mm-hmm. What do you think about that kind of thinking? Well, when I meet people like that, for me, I'm like, I'm not your person. You know, that's that's not me. You know, I want to help, you know, my role is to help someone through find, trying to find the best outcome we can that's right for the family, you know, especially if there's children. But let me tell you, I mean, there's there are people out there that do it. There's people out there that are really good at it. And I, you know, and I um, I find myself working with them, um, to put it kindly in cases for quite frequently, because it's easy. You can sit down and, Hey, you know, someone comes in, they tell you these terrible things, especially terrible things from their point of view. And you can pound a table, tell them that's not right. Here's the retainer. Let's go. Um, and, and it's, uh, especially if there's some, if there's enough money that the the financial decisions about the cost of litigation don't matter. Um, that is horrific because, um, um, and I've been on the defending side of that before where it's just, you know, and they just pummel you, pummel you with things. And it's, and it's just, it's, it's relentless and it's, it's crushing, but, um, you know, it's not me. And if you, it's kind of, if you find yourself in an echo chamber, if you find your attorney telling you just what you want to hear, you know, um, when you're angry like that, then I, I would be concerned about that or, or that would be something that, you know, should make you catch pause. Um, because um, I, I, I try to spend, I tell my clients, you know, it's easy to think about going to court and winning. And if all you talk about with your attorney is how you're going to go to court and win, then that should be a concern with you. Because uh, you know, a lot of times you don't, a lot of times things don't always go your way, or that shouldn't just be our focus about how we're going to win and drive things from the other side. You know, it needs to be, what's the outcome here? What are the things that could happen that aren't in your favor? Or what are the risks to this, you know, to this course of action? And if they're not talking about those things, then, you know, you might be, you may have found somebody who's kind of feeding on your emotional drive and um, they'll get paid a lot, you know, and they're good at it. Um, but yeah, um, but it's, 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 there are enough, <laughs> there are enough attorneys practicing that way to give us the reputation that we have. So, yeah. You know. Well, and, and I think, yeah, I, I think, I, I didn't think you were the asshole attorney. I was pretty sure you weren't, but I, I just, to me, it's not the best strategy, right? Like I get that you're angry. I get that you're hurt, 
and and your point is well taken particularly if there if there's kids like we got to find a way for the two of you and the couple to coexist or co-parent as peacefully and amicably as possible for the sake of the kids and and one of the places i see this go horribly off the rails is when you've got one of the two or maybe two of the two with some degree of a personality disorder mm-hmm. and and i imagine you see that well overrepresented because I, I think it's about 10 to 12 percent of the population that have either borderline or narcissism or across of between two um but that gets really, really problematic because like a narcissist isn't concerned with the truth. That's correct. Yeah. And you, a lot of it's initially it's hard to tell unless there's like outside of it always is. Yeah. They come in and like a lot of times, many times they don't realize they're doing it. Some people do. They're like, I want my attorney to know this much. So they're pointed in this direction. So this is where they spend their time. And then, you know, uh, you can find yourself in court learning things, you know, that your client didn't tell you. Right. And it's like, I'm like, this is the most expensive place for me to find something out, you know? Um, but you know, a lot of times it, yes, they need to get to a place that is like this on the horizon and that horizons different you know, distances for different families, but where's that horizon where they can co-parent? Um, it's, and um, many times it's not as far as people, think it is or make it, you know, um, try to make it. But there's other times where it just, it, it should be far away. And it, um, it but you're going to, one thing that can be frustrating is you'll find if the, that biological parent is standing there and wants to, you know, wants to be, play a role, you know, is trying to say and do the right thing, even if they walk out the door and they're not, the court is frequent, especially here, the court's going to give them swing after swing after swing. You know, because they want that parent to have the right relationship with the kids. Now, what is that right relationship? How do we formulate that? You know, and that gets really expensive and and it can become a financial, the financial aspect of it for many people can and should become like this limiting factor of it. Like, well, I know we should have like a guardian ad litem come in and do an investigation and find out, look into these parental roles and that all stuff, but we can't afford that, you know, or this. So, um, and I, I've, I've grown to view it this way, that the, the legal system is made for I'm standing here in good faith and you're standing here in good faith and we're, we, we can't work this out. So court, here's our issues, you know, and, and the court has a process that goes through that. But the legal system is not ideally suited for I'm standing here in good faith. Here's my issue. And the other side is lying their ass off. Right. Um, and or are just not presenting things that are you know, that are at all accurate for what we're trying to talk about. And the court's like, well, uh, the court's not suited for that. Now they've got to do right. all these value judgments. They'd have to, do they bring in an outside expert to try to get a better opinion on something? And then the court will get stuff wrong, you know? Um, and I, I had a case that went on like that for years and it, it um, and it took, a, we, we finally won an appeal, came back down and then got it directed. It, from a total loss of custody back to 50-50. And then it took another event where the other side, look, this is this is the concern we've been sharing. Another event happened. But that little one, you know, spent, you know, a solid three or four years where they shouldn't have been before we finally got that set right. And that was all because it was unlimited finances going in with, you know, complete, completely distorted reality. And, and that, it, it, that, that that can really complicate things. The court is not built for that. Um, yeah. I know they all wraps up in, in 60 minutes on a really good, you know, <laughs> TV <promise> show. <laughs> yeah. But it it uh that that really is uh is a problem for well and and to 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 go through that, to live that for one, two, three, seven, ten years, A, the child or children are just suffering. Mm-hmm. And B so are both the people involved in the divorce and the stress involved in that. If you're 98% human at all is going to be momentous. Yeah. Um, let me, let me ask you something else. So what are the, um, what are the consequences for someone who is lying repeatedly in court and sh- like turning in forms that are just fundamentally dishonest that are lying in depositions? What have you seen in terms of consequence? Well, um, it, let's assume that the court finally figures them out, 
Okay. Because a lot of times what right. happens is you end up negotiating a settlement because you can't afford to keep going or something like that. But there, there'll be fines. There'll be fines. That, well, they'll have to pay attorney's fees as a low hanging fruit. Okay. They'll, they'll eventually. Get uh, but not always, not always. Cause sometimes you can just yeah. do BK, you can do bankruptcy. Right. And I've heard that like only two or three out of five clients actually pay their divorce attorney. So my experience was my ex-wife just dipped on her bills. Yeah. Well, and that's another problem when, you know, when the other side is, you know, not, like I'll find out, hey, that this person's, you know, my client's 30 grand behind. And you're like, what? I'm like, well, they own you now. You yeah. know, they, they own you because you're going to do anything. You know, you're going to make decisions to try to get that debt paid that you may not have done before, you know. And uh, um, what I tell clients is I'm in front of this judge next week. Uh, maybe twice next week. And I'm not going to sell my credibility for this case because you know, people hire me for two reasons. One is much my knowledge and experience and two, my credibility with judges. And I'm not selling that for you, <laughs> you know? So we're going to tell the truth and, you know, this will be the outcomes of it. But yeah, when you, and, and that happens, um, but there are, so attorney's fees are not given all the time, but that's some of the lowest hanging fruits or there'll be sanctions for it. But you, it's, it, it's um, it, it can become this thing that you're chasing that this pursuit of fees is its own becomes its own animal and its own mm-hmm. kind of case almost. And you're like, you know, let's bring this back to what it's all about. And uh, there's there are many times you're spawned or many times that you can end up chasing those things that it's you end up spending money on it. You don't recover and it never it's never going to go back and heal the initial problem, you know, but. So I'm not giving you a good, uh, I'm not giving you a short or a good answer to your question. Well, I, I don't think there's a good answer. Honestly, that was one of my great disappointments in being involved in this process, which I didn't start, nor did I want. But so, and this is a totally self-serving question. What's the most you've seen in attorney's fees awarded to another party, in, like in the sense of reparations or consequences? Um, I would say, uh, I think I had a case once where it was just over 50 grand. Yeah. Um, yeah, but that was a prolonged, um, a prolonged uh, issue with a, a whole bunch of different filings, and then things were all reserved and reserved, reserved, and brought on at the end of the final, one of the final judgments. But a lot of times it's smaller than that. A lot of times it's you know if the court can catch it early, you're hoping to get like hey twelve or fifteen hundred bucks, you know, kind of so, and hopefully that's enough to get people's attentions first, off, you know, straight off. Yeah. Um, the biggest problem though, is when you go for it and you don't get them, even if you should, and the court may not, the court may not award them for different reasons. They may think that, ah, look in the whole agreement, this, this came out kind of fair, even if the person did that. So it may, the court may not order them for reasons that have to do with other than whether they, they should or not. Okay. They, the court make decisions that sometimes you won't agree on or or doesn't seem to make sense, but that can give someone a green light. That's like, if the other side is really that maniacal, um, they could be like, Hey, I got away with it. I I got away with it that time. You know, I'm doing it again. And I have, I've had a a long-term client who who was living that, who um, the court didn't the first time. And, and it just, it was taken as this green light to this person. And now, um, that client has just been living a nightmare with yeah. every ridiculous thing, you know? And every one of those situations seems to involve a personality disorder. It seems to me yes. like that. Yes. It just I, gets off. Yeah. Like, and, and I really like the idea that you don't know someone until you divorce them because it brings out the worst mm-hmm. in you, but it sure as hell brings out the worst in them. And, you know, in, in my situation, my divorce, my ex-wife, her dishonesty was so apparent and pervasive that the judge ordered her to pay 50,000 of my attorney's fees. And my attorney said, wow, that's five times, 10 times what I've seen in 20 years of practice. But then the second problem with that, and and it felt so vindicating to be like, oh my God, someone gets it. But the the second problem that was probably also like not, did not represent all of your attorney's fees. You know. Oh, absolutely. It was about a third. Yeah. But yeah. Um, but the, second. the second problem with that is you get the reward, which is fantastic and vindicating. And it's probably, you know, whether or not you collect any of that money is still amazing. But the second problem is collecting it. Hmm. Because if they're if they're willing to lie to the court and lie to a judge's face, they're also willing to shine on any 
any consequence like that and just say, yeah. I'm not going to pay that. Yeah, no, that's true. And many times the, the courts, it, it makes sense to try to fashion that payment within the property distribution or within something. Mm -hmm. So if you still have the ability to, um, if it's still part, if the, many times the things that happens with the stuff with, with children and it's post-divorce modifications and things like that. But if the divorce is still open and the property settlements aren't, aren't complete, then that's the best time to go about that. But, you know, I'm sure you have really smart people working on it and, and, and chances, like I said, chances are that stuff is things that linger on and on and on yeah. after the property settlement part is over. Um, and then it's hard to, then you're, you know, you're chasing that, you're chasing that money. So let's, let's turn to a more positive uh, topic. So what are your beliefs in terms of if you are in a relationship and you want it to last a long time, what do you see as necessary elements to that? Well, I, I believe, I mean, well, I, I, as I, I share with you, um, you know, my wife and I have been married, we've been come up on 32 years. This Congratulations. Summer. So, well, thanks. Uh, and uh, um, it's a lot of it is um, a lot of things will, you know, a lot of things will pass, you know, a lot of things are, it, a lot of things will, will, you'll move through and, and how do you find it okay for, and, and to enjoy actually that that person's growing and is going through different things and it has different things that they, that they, you know, that are important to them now than it used to be. And, and how do you find ways for that to be great? You know, how do you find ways to support that? And, and, and a lot of it is for me. And when I see, you know, one of the most awesome things that happen is people come in and they file for divorce. You start working through and they're like, Hey, actually, no, you know, we've worked it out, you know, and we're always like, awesome. You know, um, a win. yeah. Especially when they don't come back. Um, yeah. Some of them you're like, oh, I'm talking a couple of when they don't come back, but it's, um, uh, I just lost my train of thought, I think, but uh, another one is, um, is, is not focused is like, it's easy, I think, and again, I don't want to project easy for me to be in a relationship and go, how is this relationship for me? What am I getting out of it now? What am I when actually, you know, um, especially the question is, oh, I, I love her. You know, I, I still love the way she moves, how she smells, how she all these awesome things about her. You know, she laughs at her own jokes. <laughs> but, but, you know, but so then what can I say? Well, what am I contributing a relationship. Let's not, you know, am I doing enough for that? Am I doing enough to make her day better? Am I doing, you know, um, I get up, put my feet on the floor and how can I be the best husband I can be today? And how can I be the father that, you know, our kids who even though they're older now, how can I be the father that they would wish I was? And if I'm doing those two things, then a lot of other stuff really takes care of itself, you know? Yeah. Yeah, but you know it's different. Again, I'm in a different spot in a relationship. When then it's it's different if I you know if we were three years in, didn't have kids yet, or just had you know one little one who's crying all night, and you know those. So that so it's easy for me probably to to have that perspective or that point of view. But I, I don't know, hopefully some of those things are helpful. Yeah, well they are, and and I think the other thing that's a great question to ask myself or for others to ask themselves is. I mean, what am I contributing in a positive sense in the relationship, but also what am I contributing in a negative sense? So in other words, what's my responsibility in this difficult or draining or damaging dynamic? What, <laughs> what am I not seeing? Because I, I think it's so easy for us to get angry and defensive and externalize all the blame onto the other person and say, if she would just stop being such a bitch, pardon my language, I wouldn't be so pissed off. No, and again, I'm speaking it. as thinking here. I'm not speaking as talking. So I forgive oh, me if that's yeah. offensive to people. No, well, here's a here's a great example. My wife and I went through something some years ago that resulted in her losing hearing. Um, and and of all the ways and time in my life that I focus on how much I love her, I had never thought about trying to repeat yourself a number of times without sounding like an ass. <laughs> like, even if you're not angry about it, it, the way, and it doesn't matter how I say it, what matters is how she hears it and how it's presented to her. You know, she'd like, she'd be like, what'd you say? And I said, bah, nah. she's like, bah, nah, nah. and I'm like, and it's like, is this the third time I said it? You know, and I'm like, it's not her fault. You know what I mean? It, it sounds really jerk when I, but it's like, no, but, I, but realize I, it. And it's to be, it made, really made me aware of like, 
wow, why, I'm not upset about the fact that she can't hear. Well, I think it's a really good example in the sense that volume is one of the ways that we indicate annoyance, right? Mm. The, the more our volume grows, the more we interpret that as, oh man, Patrick's kind of annoyed here or really annoyed. And so trying to say something wild like separate. that without also having attitudes slip into it, because you're probably doing yeah. the reason she probably didn't hear is because, well, I'm not looking at her. And two, I'm probably busy doing something, yeah. which if I sat down and said, gee, what's more important? I wouldn't go this. You know, what I mean, I'd be like this, but I didn't do that. Right. I was just living life. And I'm right. like, this. And like ah, ah. and then like, so the volume thing is run as you're right. But it, boy, try to do that and not have attitude creep into that thing and you're like oh yeah that was kind of jerk you know well and, and part of the issue is yeah there is a little annoyance in there at having to repeat myself three four times yeah. i don't and have then, to do that other spots yeah because there's times yeah. she, and she's a person she'll be like well what's the thing you know and i'm like yeah oh, you know i don't have to say things three or four times other spots and i'm like well of course you don't ask because other people don't <laughs> yeah um so let me let me ask you one final question and then you can tell me anything I forgot to ask you. But one of the questions that I have for anyone in your profession is how on God's green earth do you deal with all the negative emotion that is around you on a daily basis in your profession? Oh, that's fair. Um, and, you know, I, I, I do um, a, a fair amount of civil litigation also. I'd say I do about 70% family law and about 30% civil litigation. And I find truthfully, it's all negative ways. You know, some people are like, mm -hmm. Oh, how do you do family law? You know? And I'm like, you know, um, it's all really angry people <laughs> for real <laughs> reasons or, or perceived reasons that, you know, whatever here they, here they are. But yeah, it's, it's different. I spent a lot, a number of years in the Coast Guard doing search and rescue work. And I had the position of, um, I would be the, the main contact with families. And I, I would, I look at that as, again, like as a privilege because these people are going through one of the most difficult times in their life and I'm the person they're talking to. So I, I would set it aside and be like, I'd be available anytime they would call at all different hours. And, and, and one of the more difficult parts was it's, it's, it's probably surprising from the outside looking at how often you don't find people. Um, and when you're not searching anymore and you're explaining to people why you're not searching anymore, even though they look over and see the boats and planes sitting right there, they're like, they could be out. And you're like, yeah, well, we're not. So I had that past experience. And I also have this, I don't know if it's healthy or unhealthy. I guess I let that for someone smart like you to let me know that this compartmentalization thing I can do where I can just be like, all right, that just happened. And I'm going to sit that over here for now. And I'm not really going to think about it, you know? And then I can get through, you know, the things that are happening or kind of before me, or I can come home and, you know, my wife would be like, Hey, how's your day? I was like, ah, you know, but I really want to be here with you guys with what you're doing, you know, so that I can be, I can be present for not miss something that I really wanted to be part of at home because I'm still processing this or, so I'll try to set that aside and come back to it later, you know, and then and then it's on me to actually try to do that later because it can be later and later and later and later. Mm -hmm. And I did that for a while. And I'm like, no, I need to get better at, you know, cycling through those things and going, Hey, you know, how did that make me feel? Why did I feel that way? And, but so as I'd say, it's a balance of those two things, you know, but um, that's why, but you hear a lot of people, you know, I try to listen to people who've been in this for, for some time longer than me even. And they're like, you know, ah, oh, it's all the same. Ah, oh, it's all this. And, I, I've never felt that because, like I said, each family's journey is its own. But there's some warning sign language you can hear, and you know, and people with farther down the road. I'm like, okay, if I start saying those things, then you know, it's probably time to start looking at something else to do. Yeah. Well, and I, I appreciate your answer because I, I think it's it's an important one for all of us, and I think in both of our professions, like I'm grateful for what I do in the sense that it gives me great perspective on my own life, and you know. What, what do I really need to worry about? What is really big? What is, you know, problematic? And, you know, although I can have emotions sparked by smaller things, the perspective is really helpful. And I think the compartmentalization is a, an effective strategy. I mean, I don't know if it's healthy or unhealthy. I think it depends, but I think it's, it's something we all do. And I think it's, it's effective and, and necessary to a point. Um, and but I, I had a, I had a captain when I was years ago, when I was on the uh, service. I had a captain who uh, 
he was just like, the more intense things got, the calmer he got. And I don't know how he did it. Um, I don't know, you know, what the whole background, you know, was low blood pressure. Something. Yeah. But <laughs> I just remember, I remember admiring that because what it let, what it, it let happen was the people that were around him didn't suddenly have to focus. Cause I worked in um, industry later and I worked for a guy who was brilliant, but did not have that. He was table pounding, you know, whatever. And, and I just remember realizing those differences between where the one, he, they were both surrounded by, by excellent people. Um, but one of them let those people still do their jobs, even in a high stress environment. And the other one, he became as big or as much of the problem as the high stress situation that was already happening. And I just remember thinking like, I admire that, you know, mm-hmm. um, and how can I emulate that? And I think that pays off. And, but, you know, without a doubt, one thing that happens, there are days where you come home and you're like, you think of this happened, that happened. You're like, man, my family's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And that's good <laughs> news to have yeah, good right. awareness. Yeah. At least we're not, you know, at least we're not this, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's interesting your experience with the Coast Guard, because I think that's one of the things that helps me is just the question of, you know, when my, my emotions are coming up and I'm getting triggered, one of the questions I'll ask myself is, hmm, is this a matter of life or death? Hmm. And the answer to that 98% of the time is no. It's not, which can help me to kind of ratchet down the intensity of that emotion. Um, and so I think just having that kind of perspective is really helpful. The other question I really like is, will this matter in five years? Yeah, no, it's true. And that's where I go back to, uh, you know, where I represent the same person. I used to say I represent two different people, but then I'm like, no, that's not really what I do. I, <laughs> I represent, you know, I represent you in two different times and at you five yeah. years from now, seven years from now, you know, you didn't get the, all the plates, you know, they got more of the plates, but. There's lots of other plates, you know. But those um, plates were from my mother, Patrick. I know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> eternally let down with you. <laughs> they have emotional significance. Yes, yes. Well, then, yeah, then that maybe, then that changes the, the, the deal with the plates, doesn't it? <laughs> and and that, that was actually a good experience in my divorce was minimal, minimalism, like mm-hmm. getting rid of a lot of the physical crap in my life that I thought was so important. And in fact, I'm actually happier without the vast majority of it. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. But that's, uh, I, I, I find that there's a, just in my personal life without, you know, any other connection to, to divorces or whatnot, that yeah, the less stuff it takes up capacity, you know, it takes up and the less stuff you have around, it's just easier to navigate through things, you know, cause you're not thinking about that stuff or, and it's hard. We went through a thing when the, the kids, it's the, um, or uh, moved out that it's like, okay, what do we need? What don't we need anymore? And you got rid of carloads of stuff. And, and it's a little hard because some of the things have like, is that memory here? Or is that, is that memory here? Where is that? And, you know, um, yeah, those things are hard, but yeah, uh, I think, and uh, seems like you agree that that minimalist, less stuff is almost always better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, I got to say, thank you so much for spending the time with me. I I greatly enjoyed it. Um, I've greatly enjoyed our, communications and getting back in touch after, geez, I don't know, 40 plus years. It's yeah. good to see you. Good to hear your voice. Yeah. With my bad sense of humor, it's not unusual. People need that kind of time off. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for the break. I really appreciate it. I'm, I'm totally ready now. Yeah, I'll see you um, in 2070. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let me ask you this, where can people get a hold of you if they would like to find out more about you? Um, you can, uh, um, you can Google me, uh, you know, uh, Patrick Hook, attorney, Massachusetts, you know, um, I'm right there, um, uh, for this. And, uh, there's, uh, I think there's, you know, that'll, that'll, that'll get you to me. Um, All right. Yeah. And, uh, you know. Happy to, uh, again, we do free consultations, you know, as part of, as part of all this, because, you know, that lets people get to meet me. I get to meet them, listen to their, you know, the situation and make sure that I can help. And, you know, find the right attorney is important because you want to find someone who's the right fit for you. And, you know, um, and that depends on your case, depends on your personality, a lot of different things. So it's good to interview a couple. Sometimes you don't want to do that. You're like, ah, this is good. I want to go. But it's like, you know, talk to a couple people because it's good to meet the right one. It's the, you know, the right fit for you. Yeah. Well, and I, I want to say I appreciate the work you're doing and I'm proud of the person you've become. So oh, nice job. Same, same. 
and that is it for this episode of the Evolved Caveman. If you liked what you heard, please feel free to rate, review, and share. And if you didn't like it, you don't have to do a damn thing. And if I offended you, then maybe look at why you're offended. Thanks so much, and I'll check in with you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Evolved Caveman Podcast. If you like what you've heard, support us by subscribing, leaving reviews, and sharing the podcast with friends and colleagues. For the latest, most powerful tools to connect with like-minded men, join the Facebook group at The Evolved Caveman. Follow Dr. John on Instagram at The Evolved Caveman, all one word, or join the email list by visiting guidetoself.com. 